Thank you, Trish. And was that the song, The Mountains Tremble? Okay. In honor of our great Rocky Mount, Virginia earthquake. It's good to see you guys survive that. I was actually uh, in the home of one of our sweet ladies who's um, homebound uh, most of the time. And I thought at first that it was the wind. It was the wind. And because I saw the trees, the, the, the limbs were moving outside and the leaves. And I thought it was wind. And, and then, then I, I began to feel the house kind of move. And I thought, normally winds don't move houses. And, uh, and Miss Nanny, she said, it's probably just an earthquake. And I'm like, earthquake? What? Just an earthquake? So um, I had a friend from Florida actually send me a picture on email. Some of you may have seen this floating around the Internet. It's four lawn chairs. Uh, some of y'all have seen this. And, and one of the lawn chairs is tipped over. And it says something like the, the East Coast Virginia earthquake, quote, we will rebuild. You know, so, so he sent that to me and he said, you guys all right? I was like, man, we are. We are good. So um, it's good to uh, that you guys survive that. But also uh, in, in seriousness, we need to continue to be in prayer uh, for the people on the East Coast who are uh, without power. And I believe I read that uh, six have died, at least on, on Drudge Report. That's what I saw. Maybe the number's greater now. It's nine. Okay, it's nine now. Um, So we need to continue to keep them uh, in prayer as well. But this morning, uh, it is good to be back with y'all. It feels like it has been so long. But we're going to hit the ground running this morning uh, in Luke chapter 2. In verse 36. And we're going to go through uh, verse number 40. And we're going to address this text. There's actually um, most of what we're going to talk about is going to be addressing this question because it deals with Jesus uh, and his growth as a human. We're asking the question, when did he realize that he was the Messiah? Because many people who have been around the things of God have heard, okay, Jesus is deity, right? Jesus is God. He is the Son of God, but Jesus is also human. We've been told, and this is true, this is accurate, this is biblical, that Jesus is 100% God. He's not 99.5% God. He is God, but He is also 100% human. You say, now, aha, but He doesn't have a sin nature. Did you know that the sin nature is an intrusion into the DNA of what makes up a human? Did God create people in the beginning? Were Adam and Eve, Eve created as sinners? No. They were created perfect. So in fact, you could say that Jesus, being born of a virgin without, virgin without a sin nature, was actually more human than us. Luke, this is, and this is going to be a, I'm going to ask you to put your thinking caps on this morning. We're going to look at a lot of stuff. This is going to be, it's going to be deep. I'm just going to, just going to lay it out there. It's going to be technical. It's going to helpfully answer the question of what a lot of people, they move beyond. Okay, so if Jesus is 100% God, 100% human, how do those, if you could say his divinity and his humanity, if those are combined within one person, Jesus Christ, how does that actually work out, right? I mean, does, does one day Jesus is like he's acting God, and the other day he's his human will, or how does that all work out? We're going to look at some wrong responses, wrong understandings to that. Then we're going to look at what the Bible actually 
teaches and the question, when did Jesus realize that he was the Messiah? Now, some of you sharp folks have already realized that that question, in a sense, is already begging the question. So, y'all ready for this? This is going to be a little different. Here we go. Luke chapter uh, 2 in verse number 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And when... And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So this little package of scripture details a lady who was totally dedicated to God. Let me just make a point here. She was around the things of God. She did not leave the temple. She lived literally at the house of the Lord. And I want to encourage you, uh, sometimes with church attendance... All right. Sometimes it's easy when you get up and you say, oh, man, I've got what's been called the battle of the sheets. I just can't get up. I want to encourage you that the times that you're so tired and so exhausted and things just seem to be going so wrong. I think that's the very time you need to come and be encouraged by the word of God. Amen, church. It is those times to where you are pushed and you are pressed and you are stressed out. It is that apex of the point in your life where you say, Lord, I need you now uh, more than ever. So Anna um, is an incredible example of someone who serves and seeks after God. And in verse 39, the Bible says, And when they had performed, this is speaking of Mary and Joseph, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town, to their one town of Nazareth. And in verse 40, this is our focal point this morning. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So how do we understand verse 40, if Jesus is God and God does not change? Aren't you glad that God does not go through mood swings? Aren't you glad that God is not like us? He doesn't get up on the wrong side of the bed. God doesn't sleep. But how are we supposed to understand the fact that verse 40 tells us that Jesus, and this is in your outline, if you want to take notes, this is all there on the back of your your bulletin. Uh, What Jesus experienced, according to this text, is that three things... Jesus became strong. You could read this as physically strong. Jesus was not only, did not only become physically strong, but he was filled with wisdom. And third, he was favored by God. So you see that Jesus there in, in his humanity, when he was born of Mary at the very earliest stages, and this is like right after Jesus was, was, I mean, just Eight days old, just barely, he's barely there and he's in the temple and he begins to, to grow. And as it says uh, later in the book of Luke, in wisdom and favor and stature with both God and men. There's a couple of things I want you to write down to, to, to put this in proper perspective. I would put it under this subtitle, Jesus is eternal. 
Okay, When Jesus was born of Mary, it was not at that point that Jesus began to exist. All right, It wasn't like Jesus day one. And here, let me give you a couple of scriptures. If you want to turn to John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 1, there's a very interesting phrase that will help us understand that Jesus is eternal. In other words, Jesus was not a created creature or a being. John chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the capital W, was the Word, and the capital W, the Word was with God, and here it is, and the Word was God. He was in, verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5 speaks of Jesus coming into the world, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Go with me also in the New Testament to the book of Colossians. Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, over in the epistles of Paul. And it's Colossians chapter 1, and verse 15 is very, very important that Jesus is eternal. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, and this is speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things and in Him. All things, you could translate this phrase, are being held together. In verse 19 it says, "...for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell." And verse 20, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. That means when Jesus came, He came to redeem the world to Himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So from these texts, and there are many more, we see that the Bible teaches that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is not some type of a created being. You say, now Jeff, what does it mean in verse 40 when it says that Jesus began to grow? Well, the word there for grow means to, uh, to become greater in extent. In other words, he grew as a normal human being would grow, minus a sin nature, because Jesus was human. Um, next week, next week's going to be a real zinger. We're going to talk about Jesus, the missing years. Have you ever wondered or ever been asked the question, now we see the Bible leave off when Jesus was 12, and then it picks up when he was 30. What in the world happened in between? We're going to look at many theories, uh, many things that people say that happened that did not, and why the Bible would leave that blank. I've got a great section here, but I'm just going to leave that off for next week. There's actually, I'm going to give you a little bit of a tidbit. There's a, there's a collection of writings called the Pseudepigrapha. And that simply means the, the false writings. There's this one book called the Gospel of Thomas, which is not a gospel and it wasn't written by Thomas. But it's got stories about Jesus as a boy doing crazy things like making, clay, making pigeons out of clay and making them come alive. And then the kids from the neighborhood come and make fun of Jesus and Jesus zaps them. 
Like seriously, like he kills a kid. And then Joseph, you know, scolds Jesus for that. And, and then, then, then the parents come and they're mad, you know, because Jesus is like zapped their kid. And then Jesus causes blindness on, on, on the parents. It's like Jesus is a little Machiavelli. It's not true. It is all false. So, so, so you've got a lot of, we're going to, we're going to look at some crazy, bizarre stuff that we as Christians need to study so that we can be prepared to answer people when they have genuine questions. So that's just a little bit of what, um, kind of, it's almost, if you could imagine it like this, if we've got any comic book fans here, it's almost like a couple of centuries after Jesus, there were some guys who sat back and said, I wonder what we could do if we wrote a book and called it the Gospel of Peter or Thomas, because they were kind of like famous Jesus disciples, and let's make it kind of like a theological X-Men comic book. That's what you get with all of these legends and people saying uh, what Jesus did, which in fact is simply not true. By the way, just me, that's all of what I said just false. I don't want anybody leaving like, dude, Jesus killed a kid. No. All right. This, that's post-gospel um, legends. So let me give you two aspects that will help us understand this um, aspect of Jesus growing. He is God, but he is progressing in growth and maturity uh, as a boy. Number one, Jesus never used his miracles as a show. Right? Do you remember what Herod wanted to see? Herod was like, oh, so Jesus can come? Herod was so excited to get Jesus to come because Herod wanted to see Jesus do what he thought would be a magic trick. And Jesus never did that. Jesus did not use his um, his power as some type of a show. And secondly, Jesus never used his miracles for what we could call uh, low purposes. Remember what Satan told Jesus when Jesus was in the wilderness? Imagine, you're there for 40 days. I take that as very, as very literal. There are people today, um, Johnny Hunt has done a 40-day fast. There are a lot of great men and women of God who have really, they've built up to that. They've gone 40 days without food. They drink water, drink liquids, but 40 days without food. Can you imagine? Sometimes I wait till two o'clock to eat. I am, I am dying, right? We have to build fasting into our life. But imagine you've been there for 40 days in the wilderness and Satan comes and tempts you. Imagine if you could look at a rock and turn it into a steaming. I mean, you could cut it and just put a piece some of y'all are right. Y'all, this is going to make you want to jet out of here and get to lunch. You can cut open the steaming hot loaf of bread, whether you like whole wheat bread or whether you like white bread, white bread, sooner you're dead, you know. And so you could just put a piece of margarine or butter on there and it just soak into it. So it'd just be like this sopping ball of awesome bread. And if you could do that, if you had the power to look or to think or to say to a rock, become bread and it would do it. Jesus had that power because we know that he did. Not turn rocks into bread, but he multiplied bread and he multiplied the fish when the kid gave Jesus his lunch. But Jesus didn't do it, even though Jesus was literally starving. He was weak because Jesus did not use his power for a low type of trick purpose. So what does it mean when the Bible says in verse 40 that Jesus was filled with wisdom? Well, it simply means that Jesus' physical growth was matched by wisdom. Now, think about it like this. The way that most kids grow, they grow sometimes faster. And those of you with teenagers, can, can, can you're with me on this. 
They grow faster physically than they do maturity-wise. Can I get a witness? Okay. So, some of you who, who are like may, maybe out of, out of that age range, do you remember yourself when you were in middle school? Nobody? All right, you, you guys are like totally blocked that out of your memory, right? Like think back of wh- how we were back in the day, you know, and we were, we were like, you know, a lot, a lot of kids too will, will get very big fast and they're strong and they're like six foot and they're, you know, in fifth grade, but, but, but the maturity level is just not there, you know, and, and it's amazing. And I would, I would encourage you to mark this in your Bibles when it says that Jesus in verse 40 um, became filled with wisdom. Um, it, it's literally, you, you could translate this, he was filled in the sense that he was being filled by wisdom from God on high because Jesus progressing as a child, the child, the baby Jesus, the growth in his physical strength was matched by the very Sophia, the wisdom of God. And this is the very wisdom of God that gives us the ability to make wise decisions in life. This is God's knowledge. It is God's wisdom. Matthew Henry said it like this, whereas other children are weak in understanding and resolution, he was strong in spirit. And all his faculties performed their offices in an extraordinary manner. And notice there the last thing in verse 40. And the favor of God was upon him. This is literally, you can translate this, the grace of God was upon him. Charis in the Greek. It was God's grace was upon him. Here's what the great New Testament scholar A.T. Robertson says about this text. He says, Jesus, his was a perfect humanity developing perfectly unimpeded by hereditary or acquired defects. Can I get another witness? The things that we deal with, sometimes our mother and father dealt with, and it's like like father, like son. Whether those are physical limitations or whether it's just like our family, we're just, we're just angry. Ever been around an angry family? It's like, I don't know why we just get so ticked off. Those things that we have to deal with and give to the Lord. A.T. Robertson says that he was, Jesus was unimpeded by hereditary or, or acquired defects. It, it was the first instance of such a growth in history. And I, I would encourage you to, to remember this, write this down. This is from the, the, the um, New Testament scholar Plummer. He says, at each stage, Jesus was perfect for that stage. Jesus was the perfect infant. Jesus was the perfect boy. Jesus was the perfect, if we could use our 21st century term, the perfect teenager. Jesus was the perfect young man. Jesus was perfect. And at this point, sometimes people say, now, now Jeff, why does any of this really matter? Right? I mean, why, why does this matter? It seems like a lot of this is really kind of out there and, and technical and philosophical and theological and whatever all you can put on there. Let me tell you why this is vital. Why, why it's vital? Because if we understand Jesus wrong, if we've got a picture of Jesus to where he's not really a human, or if we've got a picture of Jesus to where he, 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 he is not really God in the flesh, then we get everything else wrong, right? I mean, if you get Jesus wrong, you get everything else wrong. So this message today is so important to understanding the book of Luke for Sunday school teachers teaching their classes correctly. For us understanding the book of Luke for the whole Bible, we've got to get Jesus right. I heard a little joke about um, 
lady who had gone to get her, uh, she wasn't sure what it was, but she, she opened up the, the, the hood of her car and, and went to the mechanic and she said, I think that I need to get the 710 cap off. He said, the 710 cap, and he came and looked and she pointed to the oil cap, right? Yeah, oil, y'all get that, right? Turn oil around, 710, okay, all right. So sometimes, sometimes it's like that, for, sometimes it's easy, I think, to get the main stuff wrong because sometimes it can be difficult to understand. So what we're going to do here is I'm going to give you um, several historical th- ways that people have misunderstood Jesus in the past. So what do we mean when we say Jesus was fully divine and fully human? First, let me give you two uh, ways that people have misunderstood the full deity of Jesus. Uh, One would be, it's called Ebionism. This goes back to several centuries after Jesus. And this heresy, this false teaching said that Jesus was simply an ordinary person who possessed unusual powers, right? It's kind of like Jesus was just, I mean, everybody's here, but Jesus has just got some really cool tricks up his sleeve. It means that Jesus was not fully God. Number two would be Arianism. The problem with Arianism is they said this, there was a time when he was not, meaning that Jesus is not eternal. Now somebody tell me, what did we just look at at John chapter one? In the beginning, when? In the when? The beginning. When's the beginning? As far back as you can go, and then when your mind blows up, go back another quadrillion, billion, kazillion years. Jesus was there in the beginning because Jesus is... And I want to give you a thought. Um, I hope that we can emphasize this in our teaching here at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. When we say God, we mean God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All right, G-O-D, God. That is who we understand God to be. So there is no division. There's no, in other words, uh, there's, God is not like a pie, okay? It's not like you've got a third of God is, is the Holy Spirit. So if you take the Holy Spirit out, you know, God's kind of like hanging, you know, over here and he's wounded. God as God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit has always been. So since Jesus is God the Son, Jesus has always existed as well. So what you have with Arianism is they believe that God, and this is kind of crazy, they believe that God created Jesus as some type of a, um, a super creature. And the Bible says that Jesus has always been. Number three would be, uh, a misunderstanding would be docetism. This is from the Greek word dakeo, which means to appear. This meant that Jesus only appeared to be human, like Superman. In all the movies that we've seen of Superman, could you look at Superman and tell that he's an alien? You guys know that, right? Superman's an alien. Right? know that? It's kind of a weird thought for our Superman fans. Like, he's an alien. Alright? If you just look at Superman, you can't tell that he's not actually a human. That's kind of what the, the, the docetists taught. They, they said, you know, Jesus just looks like a human, but he's not actually a human, which the Bible clearly says that Jesus was. Another one would be Apollinarianism, which says that Jesus took some human nature, but he wasn't totally human. In other words, Jesus was some type of a godlike mutant. I know. Some of you guys are like, 
what? If this confuses you, that's good. All right. If you're like, oh yeah, right. That means you're, you're a heretic. Okay. You know, so, so if this, if this appears weird and strange, that's, that's good because it means that it's clashing with your biblical understanding of who, who Jesus is. Another one, uh, Nestorianism. Uh, in 428, this is a, a man named Nestorius becomes patriarch of Constantinople, uh, which is in modern day Turkey, which they said, once again, Jesus is not totally human. Another one would be Eutychianism. Uh, in 431, the Council of Ephesus, this was a, it hit the fan. They said that Jesus' divine nature, Jesus was so much God and his divine nature was so strong, it kind of acted like a black hole and it just. It just sucked and destroyed Jesus' human nature. So maybe it was kind of human at one point, but Jesus' divinity just ate it up. And praise God, the church saw that as an error, and they rejected it. Number seven, and this is actually very popular today, it's uh, called adoptionism, which meant that Jesus was simply a dude. All right? Jesus was just a Jewish guy who did all the right things and he did so well. God's up in heaven like, I wonder who can be my son. Who's doing really well? Wow, that guy Jesus is awesome. I think I'm going to adopt him as my son. Now there would be a big problem with that. Let's go back to the first part of Luke would be the virgin birth. I mean, how do you factor that in? You also go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 that we just read. That Jesus is the image of God. He is God in the flesh. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The only way that you can get this stuff is by having an idea and trying to force it into Scripture. Um, I remember I, I used to drive a Mitsubishi box van. You guys familiar with those? They're the ones to where you don't really have a front. You, you've got your, your legs... And then at the end of your toes, there's the gas pedal and the brake. And in front of that, there's the end of the car. All right? And you've got everything underneath you. And the thing was always having caliper problems and brake problems. So one of my friends in Texas, his name was Monty Fur, Big guy, wear cowboy hat. And I would get frustrated sometimes working on it. And Monty would help me. And he told me something. He, and I always remember this. He said, don't force it. Something... And some of, some of you may have realized that hammers don't work, right? I guess sometimes to get easy to get frustrated, you try to force something. Well, apparently there was some confusion here. Instead of just sitting back and saying, what does the Bible teach? They got this idea and they tried, which is unbiblical, and they tried to hammer it onto the biblical Jesus. There's also another misunderstanding called uh, canonicism, which says that Jesus was deity, but then when he came in the flesh, he lost it. And then when he ascended to heaven, he gained it back again. Uh, Once again, that is simply nowhere taught in the Bible. Um, And then you finally have another one. They call it dynamic incarnation, which meant that Jesus was just souped up on the power of God. Does this sound weird to any of you guys? Sounds strange, kind of a little messed up. Well, I want to give you several aspects of how to understand Jesus correctly. And and most of these, actually the first two, they come from the great theologian Millard Erickson. And we're actually going to have his book back there for the teachers today to look at as well. So what do we mean when we say that Jesus was divine and Jesus was also human? Number one, these are necessary Jesus facts. Number one, the incarnation, meaning when Jesus came in the flesh, it was more about Jesus um, having the addition of human attributes and not about Jesus losing any divinity. 
Uh, If you have your Bibles, go with me to Philippians chapter uh, 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is probably the most misunderstood passage in the Bible, which a lot of these misunderstandings, these heresies, come from a misreading of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. The Bible says... In verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But, and here's here's the confusing phrase for most people, verse 7, But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of God. Men. Now, is there anything, is there anything in these verses that say that Jesus ceased being divine? No. Notice the confusion comes from uh, when it says that Jesus, uh, there in verse 7, it says, but made himself nothing. What does that mean? Everybody look right here. Whenever you come to a confusing part in the Bible... You read what comes before it, and you read what comes right after it. Here we go. Solving the problem right here. And being, uh, let's see here. And made himself nothing. Here it is. Taking the form of a servant. Imagine to think about all that Jesus did. He washed feet. Oh, would, would you enjoy that? Right? Anybody want to sign up on the foot washing committee? I'm just totally kidding. We, we don't have that here. That was a joke. Some of you guys are, I'm not joining now. All right? We don't do that. But, but Jesus did that. He, he, he dealt with difficult people. Jesus died a terrible death on the cross. He came as a servant. So it didn't mean that Jesus ceased being divine, but it meant that Jesus willingly subjected himself to become a servant. So it means that Jesus willingly, um, for the time that he was here, when he was uh, in the flesh, he subordinated himself to the Father. Now this does not mean that Jesus is less important, but it meant that Jesus came as um, a servant. Here's what Millard Erickson said. He says, Jesus became functionally subordinated to the Father for the period of the incarnation. You ask yourself, now Jeff, um, go back to uh, verse number 8. And being found in human form, here's the question we're going to ask. He humbled himself. Notice once again, humbled himself, servant. How did he humble himself? To what extent? By becoming obedient to the point of death. What kind of death? Even death on a cross. Why would Jesus do this? If you ever ask that question, what, if Jesus was, was reigning in heaven with God, God the Father, God, why would Jesus come and do this? Jesus did it to reveal who God was. You remember uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15? Jesus is the image of God. The word there is Icon, where we get our word icon. Just like a stamp on a coin, you've got George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. It is so when Jesus' life was lived, we could look at Jesus and say, that's how God is. Because this is God in the flesh. The Bible says, I would encourage you to write this down, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus, though He was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. It was Jesus removing the veil, removing the mysteries of who God was and demonstrating that in the flesh. Number two, Jesus' humanity and divinity was not the result of a split personality. Think of it like this. When Jesus willingly subjected Himself to come as a human being, uh, picture it like this. Uh, The world's fastest, let's say, long-distance athlete limits themselves to get into a three-legged race. They still have the power, but they limited themselves voluntarily for that time, for that race, to run the three-legged race. You could also imagine the world's greatest boxer voluntarily putting one hand behind the back. Or um, you could say in baseball, you could have a great hitter, the world's greatest hitter, voluntarily switches to the other side. It is Jesus voluntarily coming as a human. They could unlimit themselves, but because of Jesus' love, He didn't. Number three. Think of, you say, now Jeff, it's hard for me to imagine. This is difficult. Yeah, it's not the easiest thing. You say, man, it's almost impossible for me to imagine Jesus being God in the flesh. Well, here's a way to think of it. Um, If you think of Jesus as a human somehow becoming God, that's impossible. Because no human can become God. But if you begin with God coming as a human, then all things are possible with God. Amen, church? So, so if we begin with God and not with man, if we begin with God, then it is possible for God to come in human flesh. See, you know, Jeff, when did Jesus realize that he was the Messiah? Well, the only evidence that we have from the Bible is a few verses later in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is lighting it up. Jesus is there in the temple and he is confounding the scribes. People are there and they're like, where is this kid? How does he have this much wisdom? So what the text says is that from the very earliest stages, Jesus not only know who he was. All right, So, so there was never a point in Jesus' life where he was running around like, I uh, forget the Jackie Chan movie, where he was running around saying, who am I? Or Jason Bourne, where he, he doesn't know who he is. There's never a point in Jesus' life where he was wander, wandering around um, like an X-Men. I'm always fascinated by these, by these uh, mutant uh, science fiction movies when they'll, they'll do something like, you know, you've got flame and he's got this flame that comes out of his, his hand and it, it burns something. He's like, wow. Like there was never a point in Jesus' life where he sat down at the lunch table and he reached over to grab the bread and all of a sudden, boop, 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 boop. Bread multiplied all over the room, and Mary's freaking out, and Jesus is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, the kids are crying. Never, never a point to where Jesus was wandering around saying, who in the world or what in the world am I? The text says, this is a great thought. I want to put this, put this in, in your mind. Okay, if Jesus is eternal, right? He was in the beginning with God. Then Jesus always knew that he would come being born of a virgin to progress in normal human progression. What's it say again in verse uh, number 40? He became strong, filled with wisdom, the favor of God was upon him. And if Jesus is eternal, then Jesus always knew that. So really the question of Jesus is when he was in human flesh, when Jesus was born, the question of when did he realize he was Messiah, he He always, because Jesus is eternal, He always knew who He was. 
Jesus knew men's thoughts. Remember that? He knew what people were thinking. That's why you could never win a debate with Jesus. So even in his humanity, Jesus, the divine nature and the human nature, Jesus knew men's thoughts. Jesus could raise the dead. And the amazing thing is we're going to look at in just a moment. It's the last aspect there in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. I want to read this to you. Um, and it says that he can sympathize with my weakness. Uh, Hebrews 4.15, we have this in the bulletin specially so people can bring this home. You don't even have to look it up. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Paul N. said, his development in these four areas, every area of his life, was indeed perfect. You say, Jeff, what can Jesus... What does, that, does this really matter for my life? Let me, let me tell you why it matters for our life. All of this stuff we've been talking about. Because if Jesus is, and this is true, this is from the Bible. If Jesus is 100% human, and that means minus a sin nature. And if Jesus is totally God, He's deity. Then it means, as we have here, that He can sympathize with my weaknesses. He, he's not like the, the proverbial, um, you could say, plantation owner that lives in the big house that simply overlooks the suffering of all the slaves and the servants. It is the big boss man coming down out of the house and voluntarily placing himself in the lowest and the most dirty situation there on the land. You say, Jeff, what can Jesus sympathize with? Well, Jesus experienced the death of friends. You ever had a friend die? You know how it feels? You got kind of, it's almost like a physical blow. It's almost like someone took what isn't invisible, but then again, it's not sword and just, and just, or, or a mallet or, or a bludgeon and just beat you in the chest. It's like you're carrying around a thousand pounds when your friend dies. All of the inside jokes, all of the good memories, all the times that just you and that person hung out together, those things have died because you're looking at their grave. The shortest verse in the Bible says, And Jesus wept when Lazarus died. He can sympathize and identify with our weakness because He came as a human. Jesus also, from what we think, experienced the, the death of an earthly father. We, we, we believe, most, most theologians believe that, that Joseph died because he, he wasn't there. And, and, and Joseph was such a man of integrity. We don't have any evidence that he ran away. He died. Some of you have experienced the death of your father. Joseph was an amazing man to take a girl in the first century who was Jewish and was his bride, but she was pregnant, saying, God did this? Come on. It's a man of incredible strength, and, and Jesus experienced that. Rejection by family members. When Jesus began his memory or his ministry, his family members showed up and they're like, You're crazy. If I were Jesus, I would have said, you're senile. Did you guys forget the whole angel thing? The whole virgin birth? Did you guys forget the wise men showing up after following a star that moved? Did you forget about those awkward shepherds showing up like, hey, uh, we were just out there taking care of our sheep and all these angels came and they were singing and told us we should come here. Like, did you guys forget about that? 
Jesus experienced rejection by his family members. Jesus also experienced false accusation by his enemies. Have you ever had someone lie about you? It simply was not true. It was totally libel, slanderous. They spread it just out of plain, old, old-fashioned meanness. Like, I don't know why they don't like me. They just don't like me. Why don't they like I don't know. Jesus experienced that. In, in, in fact, in, in Mark chapter 3, remember the man who had a withered arm? He couldn't use his arm to work, and it was on the Sabbath. And Jesus healed the man's arm? Do you know what it said? Actually, I want you to turn. This shows you how bad religious zeal is. Really quickly, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. I want to read this verbatim so that I do not misquote it. So you will see um, in verse number 6. Actually, let's read verse number 5. Jesus looked around at them in anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. Stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Verse 6. And the Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians, Herod's guys, against him how to destroy him. He heals a man, and his enemies begin to spread all of these, these lies, and they're trying to kill him. If you've ever experienced rejection, by friends or by family, or if you've experienced the death of a loved one, Jesus can sympathize with that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Also, the unfaithfulness of friends. Remember there in the garden, right? He's got these guys who come with clubs and with knives and with, 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 with torches. And, and, and Peter tries to decapitate some dude, but other than that, everybody leaves. Have you ever had somebody who said, I will be there, I am your friend. But then when you turn around, when the bullets begin to fly, they are gone. Like they are G-O-N-E, like a country song, gone. You know what I'm talking about? Like really gone. Like gone like yesterday, gone. Jesus experienced what it feels like to have people leave you and forsake you. And I think that casts a beautiful picture when Jesus tells us, I will never what? Leave you and I will never forsake you. And Jesus, finally, he suffered physical deprivation. He said, I don't even have a place to lay down my head. Jesus suffered the cruel cross. He suffered torture. So some of you with chronic pain, let, let, let me just get, get, walk through this last point. Because of Jesus' deity, let me, let me just do this one more time. Because of Jesus' humanity, because he was human, I can be confident that he can sympathize and identify with my weaknesses. But because Jesus is not just a human, but because he is God in the flesh, because of Jesus' deity, I can be confident that he can deliver me from my weakness. He's just not there to be like, bro, I know how you feel. Can't help you. But I know how you feel. We're like, well, I appreciate that, but I need some help. Because of his deity, he can deliver me from my weakness. If you've suffered the death of friends, Jesus says in the book of John, that though a man die, yet shall he live if he believes in me. The death of of family members. You've had family members who have followed Jesus. They've been saved. The Bible tells us because of Jesus' deity, because He rose from the dead, that one day we're going to be with Him again. Praise God! There's not going to be an ultimate final separation for those who will be saved. Then you think about rejection by family members. This can be your family. Amen, church? This is a family. That if you're rejected by everyone in your family, come here. 
the family of God where everybody's got the same daddy, right? There's no confusion on Father's Day within the church. There's nobody's going to ask, who's your daddy? Nobody, nobody. It is all because of God the Father who provided His Son. We all get saved the same way. Isn't that good news? That, that means that if there's any of you here and you think that you're better than everybody else, let me just give you the skinny. You're not. Amen? This is a place where we all come to the Lord equal. I need grace. You need grace. And so if you've been rejected by your family because of Jesus, He gives you a new family. That's why you can go anywhere in the world. Most, not anywhere. Let me rephrase that. You can go to most places in the world that have Jesus followers and you can look at them. You might not speak their same language. You might not. You're like, bro, I don't know why you're eating, you know, bugs, but, um, but you like Jesus, amen, right? It's like you may not be able to identify with them culturally, but you serve the same risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you think about the unfaithfulness of friends. Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And some of you who suffer from chronic pain, you have to take pills, you get up, I've told this before, is the older man who got up in the morning and he, he told his wife, he's just there in his bed, he said, honey, I think I'm dead. She said, what are you talking about? And he said, nothing hurts, right? I mean, it's just like, it's just like pain is life and life is pain. I'm always in pain. One day, praise God, the book of Revelation chapter 21 tells us that every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more pain. Praise God. Because of Jesus. Some of you who work jobs that seems to suck the very life out of you. You come home and you're like, man, I don't know if they've got some like special ray gum. It feels like all the marrow has been taken out of my bones, right? Like that boss is a vampire on life itself. You try, we've, we, we've got a tough economy right now. Have y'all noticed that? Anybody notice that? All right. Few, all right. Okay. Times are tough. Trying to scrap, trying to scrape. Trying to do the right thing and limit our, our expenses and, and, you know, it's tough. But one day, because of Jesus, because of His deity, because He's conquered death, He's going to fix everything. And physical deprivation, Jesus understands. Chronic pain. You imagine going on the road for years and not really having a place to lay your head. Just out there in a field. And then you had this to look forward to, being tortured to death by merciless captors. And when Jesus was on the cross, He cried out to Telestai, it is finished. Because of Jesus' humanity, He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Because of His deity, He can deliver us from them.